0: Joe Josh and Adam coming to you live from wherever. This is
1: the Little Green Men Show. Yeah, I don't I mean like I'll know what the introductory way to go about it was, but like I mean I figured I'd just start around the origin of my experience and how I got to where I'm at now fishing wise. Yeah, so, let's do that. Let's just let's yes, yeah, go there. So, I was um, 18, like, just out of high school, and I'd, I'd fished and enjoyed it, like, as part-time something to do, like, rural Midwestern kid, go fish some ponds, go do that, and I really enjoyed it, and I knew my, uh, my adopted father, I knew he, he was into it for, when he was a younger man, like, 18 to 20, he'd fish tournaments with his father, but, like, somehow, somewhere, in that to that point where i was adopted he kind of lost it but i'd like fishing on the side and i'd like talking to him about his experiences fishing and how him going with his dad was like a really important time in his life because they'd spend time on the road going to missouri fishing all these tournaments and i always thought like wow that'd be really rad like but i have no way to get myself in that position like i don't own a boat i bank fish i don't really know what i'm doing i've i do one technique. That I, would, I mean, it's a decent one that a lot of people still, like, will use when fishing's tough kind of thing, a pretty finessey technique. But I'd use that everywhere, very one-trick pony. But I did all right. And I was 19. I was, like, in between jobs. I'd came back from AIT in the military. And I was like, well, I need to work somewhere because I'm an adult now because I went to AIT right after my senior year. So I was like, okay, where am I going to work? I like the outdoors, I like guns kind of thing. I was just throwing out some applications. It was probably around the December time frame. And I put one in application to Academy Sports. While I worked there, they, they gave me a call, honestly, just because I was in the military. They needed the, It was the Christmas rush, and they needed somebody to work the gun counter that understood firearm safety nice (laughs) so i was yeah so i was was slinging guns for a while which was fun but then, like once it kind of died down you know january february they're like hey is there anything that you actually want to do and i was like no i'll I'll hang out in the outdoor section for a while so i met another dude i don't even remember his name and like i don't know the guy's name i just kind of remember what he looked like and he's really responsible for like where i'm at fishing wise now he was telling me. He said, "I actually fish kayak fishing tournaments, like pretty widely throughout the Midwest." And I was like, "Whoa, what's that? Like what do you mean kayak fishing tournaments? Like, how do you bring your fish in? Like, I don't know how you have a live well. Doesn't yeah. make any sense." Huh. You know? <laughs> this is the first time uh, I've ever heard of it. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, "Whoa, okay, yeah, I'm interested in this. Tell me about this." He explained that, well, it's not off weight; it's off length. So we all have a measuring device that's sanctioned and it's catch photo release. So you catch your fish has to be a bass. if It's a bass tournament. And they go on this sanctioned measuring board. You have to get a picture in, in the, with the measuring board with the fish and identifier in it to prove that you caught the fish that day. So like the identifier could be like J C 13. You'd get it that morning just to, that nobody'd have until that morning of the tournament, so you don't think out that day. I was like, okay, okay, five fish limit, and you're so you're a cumulative five fish that's your length, and you're just competing against everybody else. I'm like, all right, yeah, that sounds super rad. So I look into some more, and I was like, and I started fishing some more on the side because I was kind of surrounded by all the outdoor stuff and academy. I picked up some more gear and I was like bank fishing. And I kept thinking about like this kayak fishing because I can't afford a bass boat at the time. I'm 19, you know? Yeah. It's like, yeah, I was like, okay, okay. So let me figure out how I can get into this kayak thing. So you can get like a kayak from Walmart for, you know, a few hundred bucks. But I noticed that's not what any of these dudes are using. Uh, like, I kind of look, do some research, get on YouTube a lot. And I find like the Hobie Pro Angler. It's this big cool. wide platform that i can stand on it's pedal drive so uh, you you almost use it like a bike really so you can fish the whole time all your hands are free you're only fishing and you're going down up and down the lake with your feet you got a little turning knob to your left and right i was like wow that's that's pretty cool how much are these things it's one of those things where like they don't like post the price online so i'm like hmm Bastards. all right well i'm, I'm yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> well, I'm interested in this. I think this is probably the higher end. I might not be able to afford it, but I don't know. And then I'm like, you know how you can get on a website and it's like, find the dealers near you. I was literally looking it up um, on a drill weekend and I was drilling around the Kansas City area. And I go, okay, I was on my computer and I go, Olathe, Kansas dealer. Like the only dealer within like 400 miles. And I was like, oh, that's literally 10 minutes down the road from me it was eight o'clock or so it was maybe six seven i don't know i was like yeah there's a small chance they might be open i might go in there see what's up they weren't open but they had flyers on the outside that showed all the boats and it kind of and a card so got one of those flyers like okay yeah these are really rad do some more research i found out they're like thousands of dollars like three four grand for the i think it was the 12 foot that a 12 foot and a 14 foot and a 17 foot at the time but uh i was like okay well i don't think i can afford the 12 foot at this point in my life and as i was like trying to get into it i said i was talking to my dad and i said hey like i know you did like bass tournaments growing up but i recently found this kayak fishing thing that's kind of taken off um would you be interested in doing any of that He's like, oh, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. So he did his own research and he was like 100% on board. So I was going to get a cheaper model. He was on the Hobie and I was like, yeah, dude, I don't think I, I can afford the Hobie right now. I'm going to pay for this one that's like 1200 bucks or so, like real good. And he's like, are you sure you don't want that? So he coughed up the difference. He actually ended up paying for all of it because he wouldn't let me pay for it. So I have this awesome platform to start out on. And I'm like, okay. But it's like hundreds and hundreds of pounds. Got a little pickup. I don't, I'm too, it, it costs a ton of money. I'm scared to like get, get it messed up or anything. So, <laughs> your new prized <laughs> <Gosh>. possession. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know how to get this in the water without dragging it on the ground and scraping it all up. Like, I don't know. We also wanted to, and we're looking at tournaments at the same time that we both, that uh, we bought these and there was a northeast kansas club and we're like yeah let's go do those let's try it out this year we show up to the first tournament first time i ever got in the kayak
0: <laughs> like it w-
1: w- was a fishing wow. tournament holy crap yeah on uh, on, uh Lake you are committed Union. at that point <laughs> <laughs> i had no idea what i was doing like i spent probably three quarters of the tournament trying to figure out how to operate the thing you know <laughs> But yeah that was the that was the first day in the kayak, and i got I got hooked quick, like all the places it could bring me, all the water I could fish that I couldn't fish before, but it it also ruined me at the same time because I'm kind of like a kind of a snob when it comes to equipment and like nice things oh. like i'd I'd rather pay for quality than you know than and than have to buy again. So I thought like the kayak was going to be the issue of like price, but then I started <laughs> I started getting way deep into gear and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, we end up finish fishing these tournaments, and we both got super into it. We were traveling all over the country. He's actually on like the Hobie. He's sponsored by Hobie, like that shop in Olathe, yeah. uh, in Kansas City. He's sponsored. He like works for them. Like, gets free kayaks every year and like demos them for people.
0: Huh. That's awesome, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I do that actually. I do the same thing out of um I'm not in a Hobie anymore. I'm an old town sportsman. It's actually it's got a instead of a foot drive, it actually has a uh trolling motor in it. So I just keep a keypad, like a fob on my collar, and I can go left, right, <laughs> full motorized or anchor down. And uh yeah, I, I work with a company called Everhart's uh, Everhearts Outdoors on Truman Lake for those guys and help them out a little bit. Yeah, but we did all that and it was a big learning curve, like going from, so that was the first tournament and like I said, I only knew like one technique, which is, I don't know how many people will see this, but really it's just a worm sort of like this, straight tail worm with a hook in it with no weight and you slowly let it hit the ground, just pop it back up, hit the ground, pop it back up and i had so much to learn so quickly because how that can be an effective way to fish it's uh not always the best so i got into i just kind of got hyper obsessed with it like how can i learn as much as i need to as quick as possible so every day any waking moment i'd be on youtube like and at this point like my dad hadn't fished in Thirty years, in any kind of like competitive capacity, and so I mean he only knew how to like drag a spinnerbait or do the technique I was doing really. So I learned from YouTube. There was a couple of really good accounts. Uh, one was Fluke Master, the other was Tactical Bassin. And I would just surround myself and immerse myself with as much information as humanly possible until I actually became pretty proficient at a lot of things it's amazing
0: what you can learn from youtube it really is i uh you know i most of my life i've always done all of my own maintenance work on my vehicles and you know a lot of maintenance work in my house uh just because you save a ton of money doing it yourself but um you know after my dad passed away pretty much all like i would just have to like youtube everything and even some things before he passed like you know it was like um if if it was something that I hadn't done before, or like a new vehicle, and you know, something was a little bit different, just jump on YouTube and nine times out of 10, you can find what you're looking for. And just watch somebody else do it first.
1: 1000 so definitely percent. see the value I, there. I uh, actually find myself instead of googling things, I YouTube them instead, because <laughs> I know I can find a result. And I know I can just hit play and have a visual representation of what I'm trying to learn or see.
0: Yeah, Instead of sure.
1: Reading through and yeah. Do you ever um, get like? uh but,
0: Sorry to digress too much here, but do you ever get? Yeah, yeah, like, no, you're good. Sometimes I'll be looking for something, and I would rather just like give me like a quick paragraph on how, like, not on like what I'm looking for. I don't want to watch like a 20 minute YouTube video on whatever this thing is. I just want to know right now. Sometimes I get impatient with mm-hmm. YouTube, so I don't know if that ever happens to you. But yeah, if it's something I'm engrossed in, like, um, you know, learn when I was learning like self-teaching myself NFTs and um, crypto and stuff like that. Like there's a lot of YouTube videos that are helpful with that. But then there were other nuances like within the crypto piece where like I would look for something and uh, you know, there'd be like five YouTube videos that popped up and I'm like, this should be like a very quick thing for me to read. I don't want to watch a long video, but then in hindsight, you know, you're like half an hour into it and you're like, I should just watch that video.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where, where I run into an issue with that is like uh, there'll be some, well-known channel that I won't realize because it's not in my realm kind of thing. And they'll have, like, 10 minutes of (laughs) uh, lead-up, then a giant intro, and then it's finally, like, 30 minutes in what I actually want (laughs) to Yeah. Yeah. Misleading titles. Anyway, sorry. Uh, Go ahead, though. Oh, yeah. So I uh, ended up fishing in that first series of tournaments, and maybe the highest I got. There was probably... 10 to 20 people that normally show up i mean probably the highest I got was maybe like seventh sixth not very good at all i mean to be expected honestly right yeah then i stayed with it and i just uh i branched out as far as i could i'd drive as far as i could to fish a tournament if i and just learn about a body of water yeah. and i think that's where i almost made the most gain like i feel like i'm very well versed and like doing a lot of techniques well instead of you know just a couple very well but learning how environments specifically um and habitats have to do with fish behavior was probably the biggest thing like you can step onto a giant lake and i mean like this is how i was before i'd had like a lot of experience was i'd just probably stand on the dock and i'd cast out into into nothing right then i i started to learn that really from the terrain features around me i can have a pretty good idea of what's underneath the water like there's a giant cliff wall there's a probably really good chance there's a steep drop off right underneath it, underneath the water
0: yeah or, makes sense
1: mhm and electronics started to like i learned electronics pretty well as well that really changed the game where i could look at current breaks and different depths and understand what what's happening underneath me and that's just half the battle it's like understanding what's around you under the water that you can't see obviously and what the conditions are making the fish do so like it's it's still you know early spring water's incredibly cold right now fish are lethargic at this time, they're going to stay pretty docile in one area and they're not going to want a small meal. They're going to want a large meal that's going to be able to fuel them for possibly days and then they can just stay back in their little area and try to stay warm. Where in the summer, it might be eating everything possibly around and you can catch fish like crazy. Yeah.
0: See, that's crazy, man. I I didn't, um, you know, I guess a couple things. Number one is that like you started getting into it more in like in your adult life, you know, Mm -hmm. most people I think probably fished a few times in their youth, you know, go with mom or dad or something like that, or uncle, whoever. Um, you know, I've, I would never profess to be a fisherman, but I, you know, I fish probably two, three times a year. Um, yeah. And much like you, you know, I just like there's a singular technique that I that I use. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And uh, but to 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 like get into that piece where you're talking about, you know, the cliffs and then uh, lethargic fish during this time of year, which totally makes sense. But it's like not Mm -hmm. something that I ever knew Um, and how they would prefer a large meal. I mean, those seem like they would be um, critical points to consider when you're like trying to catch a fish, (laughs) you know.
1: Um, So that's super interesting. Yeah, like, I and you have to think about all those things and, like, all the prep work if you want to be really proficient. Like, absolutely. I would want to discourage anybody from just, like, going out and having mindless fun fishing. Like, absolutely. That's what it's all about. I think, like, one of the biggest things you can do is, like, being somebody that's semi in the industry and tournament fishes like crazy is, like, try to grow the sport. Like, I want everybody to be on the bank or fishing however they can as mindless or, like, put their mind to it and really, like, hammer down and learn as much as you can. Like, either's fine. Just enjoy the outdoors, really. But you go in and you start to learn more and more then it it becomes second nature, really. Like, you don't realize that your brain's putting all this stuff together until you really, like, think back on it on the day. Like, going from depth levels to how the water temperature goes. Like I might be dragging something on the bottom and that could be completely wrong when I need to be a few foot off the bottom or I need to be a surface bait. And when you're dealing with 40 to, you know, so like I've fished into 90 foot of water before. Um, if I, like that's a big difference. It's a lot of area to make up to try to figure out where your bites are going to come from. And all else to do off of environment, structure around you, and season. And, like, moon pattern actually plays quite a bit into it as well. Huh. Uh, how
0: does it, like, can you dive into that a little bit? I'm very curious as to how, like, the moon cycle plays into it.
1: Yeah, like, um, my favorite, like, way to think about it, really, and this isn't, this is more so feeding cycles, is... When I think about big fish, so generally your largest fish in a lake are, they become nocturnal after a while and they only feed at night and they have that bright moon and they'll feed and feed and feed and it has some kind of response where that can continue further into the next day or later that evening because they have that, that brightness doesn't necessarily go away as much um now it goes into actual feeding cycle not a hundred percent sure on that honestly but i do if i go hunting for giant fish i'll go night fishing a lot on a full moon and you can catch some of your biggest fish or if it's during a full moon that day before or the day after it can be very prime those interesting yeah
0: one of the other things that i think about often is like you know all the different types of knots that people use and um I, i when you're using different lures do you use different knots or is it like pretty pretty static knot tying on the the hooks and lures
1: i've like learned way so like way too many knots from youtube but i've ended up sticking with probably three or four um a Palomar knot, that's like a good chance you've been taught that one. Line goes through twice, then it's an overhand knot, then it goes around the lure, then cinches. That's a very strong knot that will you can honestly use for every occasion, but once you get like a little more in-depth, I tie a Snell knot, which allows the hook, I have one in front of me somewhere, but it's also it's tied around the top of the hook. So, once you set the hook and it's on a snell knot, if it's a fixed barb something pretty heavy duty, it will cause the hook to go straight up into the roof the roof of the mouth the way that it's tied around it, so once there's pressure, it'll turn straight up. Oh, okay. Yeah. You play stuff like that. Um I'll use a Rapala knot every once in a while, which is sort of like a Palomar, but has a little more slack around it for like walking baits. It's like a walking bait would be something on the surface that's going to kind of do like a left-right pattern. And if you have that little bit of extra movement in it, it can allow the lure to move a little more. But Palomar, Snell, um, when you get super wild, it's whenever... So I run a braided line, which is fiber braid, to uh, generally a fluorocarbon which is clear and has a lot of memory so braid has zero memory and it's smaller for the pound test so it can be a very small diameter incredibly strong and i'll tie that to fluorocarbon using like an fj knot or crazy alberto like the (laughs) the knots to tie one line to another it's like where it gets super advanced and pretty hard
0: yeah um, that's like that's that that right there i have always found to be very difficult because i i know that there are ways to do it where you can tie two lines together and like it'll it'll be strong and not have that slippage but man like trying to just grab two lines of time together you always have that like once you start to to put um pressure on them then like one of them slips out of the other it's impossible to avoid I, it me.
1: it took me mind-numbing hours of just retying and retying and retying until i figured it out i've got to the point where i could do it on a windy day like in the middle of like a tournament or something pretty quickly but the reason i do that is so braid has no stretch and it's going to be the most sensitive because of that reason because nothing's going to manipulate it that much and then i'll go fluorocarbon which is very clear, still pretty sensitive, and it has some amount of stretch. And if you go braid to fluorocarbon, well, fluorocarbon has memory, I guess is where I was getting at. So you know when, if you ever pulled like a spool line out, and it's all raveled up as soon as you pull it out, and it tries to go back to its original shape of the circle around the spool? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that can be incredibly aggravating when you're trying to tie knots. Or if you're using a spinning reel and you'll throw it out there and you'll start seeing all those loops on the water. Oh, you can get rid yeah. Of that. Yeah, that's how you get rid of that is you can run like a braid-to-leader combo. And it's it's more sensitive that way because you have the, the strength and the backing of the braid and the invisibility and like the clear diameter of fluorocarbon. And sometimes you want that little bit of stretch. Sometimes you want straight braid. I mean, depending on situation, depending on water clarity. There's, so how
0: does, like, when you, when you get that excess string that goes into the water, does that affect how the, the fish react to the lure?
1: So if it's in the water, I, I, I won't have anything but semi-slack from my lure to my reel. Semi slack being just a little bit on the way down. Like, well, if it's floating down, I'd let it have a little bit of semi slack so that it's not pendul- pendul-ing, pendul-ing, pendulum, 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 penduluming toward me. Because if it's tight, it's going to come toward me instead of drop straight down, right? Right. So I'll give it a little, I'll give it a little bit of semi slack, and really, that's the most I should ever see laying on the water. Even if it's something that's staying stationary, I'll keep it pretty tight. That way, I don't miss a bite. That way, I can I can visually see my uh, my line, and if it jumps, if I watch it move, I'm gonna notice much faster than if there's a lot, a lot of line out. And then hopefully, I get there in time before and set the hook before they they let go of whatever I'm trying to fish with them.
0: So, is that why you try to avoid the excess line in the water? Not because it'll like scare off the fish or anything, um, but because you want to be able to see your your line more clearly when it moves and everything yeah does wanna, it, wanna, will the excess line like kind of like laying on the water surface will that affect the the fish
1: i mean it, i would it, think it'd like, be super marginal okay that makes sense yeah so
0: so it's primarily just for um awareness and what's going on with the the, the line
1: yeah um the the less slack you have in the line the less effort and the less time you'd have to take to set the hook really gotcha and there's not there's not a whole lot of techniques that are going to be just it's called dead sticking just letting the lure just sit there on the bottom Mm
0: -hmm. not
1: really doing anything if you have to go super finesse that's a decent route but mostly most everything's going to have some kind of pretty often movement to it if you're dragging if you're hopping if you're just or you ripping up and letting it fall straight down like some kind of action on it's going to be good that's what draws a strike generally mm-hmm. if th- times are really tough that's the time you dead stick but i still wouldn't do more than excuse me than just semi slack line
0: So when you have those, uh, those old guys, you know, that, that aren't professional fishermen, they're tripping out over, you know, noise and, uh, you know, something falling into the water or something like that is, is that, uh, more hyperbole than, than anything then? Like, are there things from the surface? Like if you're sitting in your kayak and you decided to crap yourself (laughs) and Mm -hmm. you just let one rip, (laughs) is that noise and that, like that, that, you know, um fluctuation in the water going to affect the the fish and um you know their sensitivity in the area?
1: Uh silences would always be the best, but whatever their environments like whatever their environment generally is is going to be their norm, obviously. Like if it's if you're fishing a pillar on a bridge that's for trains, you know, they're used to a lot of vibration, a lot of commotion, or if it's near like a public like a lake beach, if that's going to be like the everyday kind of thing, then yeah. Um, real slight movements and like abruptions on the water. It may make some effect, but I mean, I think it'd be pretty minimal, honestly. It's impossible to be completely quiet.
0: Would what, what a lot of it have to do with like the depth too? So like if it's a windy day and there's a lot of turbulence on the
1: surface, are, are they going to be like lower? in the water that's a that's actually a really good point to like to your question so with a little bit of chop on the water you're i always prefer it over a calm still day because if you could see the fish they can see you but a little bit of abruption a little bit of surface <laughs> movement is going to help out with that a lot and uh really help you out the the days that are super tough are the ones that are blue, blue bluebird sky zero wind <laughs> those are the days that you don't want you want a little bit of commotion like tommy boy
0: he's like little help would be nice dad <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. just sitting out there Stuck. on that uh that poor boat that's
1: got no uh, wind on the lake nice beautiful sunny day yeah yeah so and there's tons of stuff to learn. It's like one of those things that you never stop learning because in a in a couple of weeks somebody's going to have some new groundbreaking lure or technique that's going to go make everybody go wild. and Everybody's going to go buy forty thousand units from whatever company, and that'll be the hot thing. Then the the old school stuff comes back, like the Carolina rigs and the the stuff that all the grandpas still do, like that. Maybe me a couple of years ago would have never thought it would work kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that actually kind of takes me back to something you had mentioned earlier today about having you know like the the nice equipment and nice gear and stuff like that um, being outfitted you know like an outfitter. <laughs> um, yeah. W- at what point does like the value in the equipment um, get negated by the skill level? You know, like if you if you're a superior fisherman. Can you get by with, uh, you know, with pretty shanty gear?
1: Yeah, if you you have a good base and you understand what's happening around you and what you're trying to do, absolutely. Where the good gear really makes the difference is sensitivity. Honestly, it's like, it's as simple as that. You can get any job done with, I can't say any rod. Because after after this, I'll explain, like, the difference in rods. But the biggest thing is sensitivity. Like, if you buy a really high-quality blank that's made with awesome graphite, you'll feel a strike more. Like, the biggest thing I like is just bottom contact. I want to understand what, like, dragging a jig would be the best example. Just, like, a jig like this. Yeah, I want to feel... Like, a, like the little, like furry
0: octopus looking thing. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I I wanna feel what this is dragging across on the ground. Mm. So if it's mud, 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 then I find a rock pile. I know the fish are gonna relate to that structure of that rock pile better. Or the break from mud to rock. They might really key in on that specific area where there's a change in where there's a change. So that's where I like I care about sensitivity as much. It's not even feeling a fish bite it's understanding what's underneath me but to talk about like rod differences like so i carry probably on a tournament day a minimum of eight rods with me it's and it's not because like (laughs) i really i want to like almost feel like i need to because the difference between my most finesse rod to my Biggest power fishing rod is the difference between, I don't know, something super malleable, but it's it's incredibly bendy where I could have the tip touch my hand on my finesse rod. I can bend it all the way straight down to my power fishing rod's a pull cue. And I couldn't throw the baits I throw in that pull cue with with my finesse rod. It'd snap it in half, just the inertia of that the weight of that lure flying
0: that makes sense yeah
1: and how much the rod bends matters as well like a know a crankbait it's like a chuck and winder they just kind of bounce across the bottom they look like a fish or a crawdad or something and they go left and right they'll bounce off something they try to get a reaction strike so they're constantly bending the rod because you're pulling against them as you're bringing them in You want a lot of parabolic bend on like a crankbait rod. You want something that bends really deep into the rod and really don't even have to set the hook. You can let the fish fight itself because there's so much bend in that rod that's fighting the fish for you. You just have to keep a little bit of tension. Then we're like, I've got a a jig rod which is something that I need powerful. I need to be able to react too quick. Just the tip. (laughs) Just the probably a foot and a half down from the just tip. The tip. Would, just the tip. <laughs> would have uh, all the action in it pretty much. Everything that bend would be like a foot and a half down. So I can set the hook and I have that hook set quickly. I don't have to let the whole rod load up and then pull the hook. And then I need, a, I need the rod stiff enough to really be able to handle whatever I'm trying to do if I'm trying to throw a giant, a giant lure with really heavy line, I'll snap a rod in half. It's not built for it. That makes
0: sense. What are the, um, what are those lures called that, you know, it might be like a tiny little fish that has like the, looks like a spoiler on the front, you know, and you pull it and it just kind of makes wakes like a skimmer. Is that what, uh, just underneath the surface. What, uh, um, (laughs) I was down on, uh, Louisville lake in dallas like north north of dallas yeah um with uh one of my former brother-in-law's uh buddies and we were on this pontoon and and we were all using those and i i swear to you man for an hour straight yeah one of those um for an hour straight every single cast that you sent out came back with a sand bass on it we had two live wells completely full on his pontoon we had like 60 some odd fish i mean it was one after they got so full that we started taking the smaller fish out and replacing them Mm -hmm. with bigger fish yeah it was just it was nutty and that kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier you know like um sometimes you, you know i i go out and i might fish for three hours and not even get a bite and uh and other times you know like that time it's just every single cast I'm bringing something in i you know for the most part I couldn't even tell you the different types
1: of bait you
0: know so th- this is mm-hmm. this is very enlightening for me
1: like i, I want everybody's first because nobody knows what they're doing their first time fishing you know mm-hmm. like I want everybody's first time fishing to just be a slaughter fest <laughs> and then it'd be difficult because I, i'm sure there's I'm sure a majority of people that have quit fishing just Tried one time, two time, didn't catch anything. Just figured out there was it wasn't for them. When there's so much to learn, man. Like I, whatever I can do to like really grow the sport, I want to because it's a it's a resource. We've got lakes everywhere, outdoors, man. I'm all about it. I want to get kids out fishing, veterans out fishing a really good escape
0: yeah that'd be a good gig i know that there's definitely some veteran organizations that um um you know they're specifically built around like hunting and fishing and stuff and um Mm -hmm. you know they'll they'll uh, guide people out on you know just even a simple fishing trip or um they'll just plug people in that are like hey you know i'd like to get into fishing just like you know Mm -hmm. kind of what you're talking about given the opportunity to to learn from somebody with experience or you know another vet. Yeah. It's pretty cool stuff.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a couple in the kayak world that I'm familiar with. There was um uh kayak fishing military veterans and um I'm going to butcher the other one. Yeah, uh, but yeah, there's there's a few that I've worked with a little bit just in the kayak world. Oh, but talking talking to about kayaks. That was the biggest thing to me. It's because I felt like any tournament competitive fishing that I could be around was never in reach because I don't know if you know, but like a brand new, like the smallest 20 foot bass boat you could get right now. Brand new is like probably 70 grand.
0: Yeah. It's insane how much those things cost. And I would bet that with, you know, the inflation that we've had and um, just rising Prices for luxury goods in general—they're they're probably some of those are well exceeding, you know, six figures. It's oh, it's yeah. crazy. I mean, you're talking about buying like a small house <laughs> for the cost. Yeah, people of put those. M- people get months. like
1: fifteen-year notes on them. Yeah, that's insane. Which is wild, but I I can't like say that like I never considered spending. That amount amount of money on a bass boat. Selling off a lever. To have have, yourself a bass boat. Yeah. A black market bass boat, but uh, I mean, I I have one now, but it's like a it's a it's a 2002 or three. That's honestly, I probably use my kayak almost more. Bass boat's awesome whenever like I want to get like a buddy out or something, or I want to go on a big body of water and try to break it down and figure it out quickly. But like kayaks kind of my jam.
0: Now for for it, just the act of enjoying being out on the water is is that why you would use the kayak more? Like just kind of being really more like in the water a little bit more physically active with it.
1: Yeah, you get the physically active, you feel more connected just yeah. being closer to the water. On like a fishing aspect where I find it more beneficial than the bass boat is I can get my kayak in to so many places that I couldn't get my boat into. Mm-hmm. Like makes the sense. backwaters, the under the trees, the like flowing, going a quarter mile down a little Creek and find like a big opening to a pond that's untouched by everybody. Cause nobody knows it's there. Those are the awesome days with the kayak.
0: Yeah. I bet. And uh, when you're talking about connecting, I mean shit being in a kayak and fishing, that's like, that's damn near getting native going back a few hundred years, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's like those are those are my most peaceful, like I have very spiritual moments. Like a lot of times on a very calm day, nobody's around me. I'll just kind of sit back and reflect on how fortunate I am.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I didn't even know about kayak fishing. I I mean, I guess it would, you know, stand a reason that it exists, right? Uh, but I didn't even know that, uh, kayak fishing existed until, you know, you told me about kayak fishing, and, mm-hmm. uh, it seems like it'd be pretty cool, pretty fun.
1: Yeah. I fished in a, it, it's gotten fairly large. i fished in a tournament for a hundred thousand dollars, like out of a little plastic, <laughs> little plastic boat. That's awesome. Yeah. It's it wild. I mean, people from, there's a national level to it. There's, there's a few people that are. 100% purely like pro kayak fishermen or fisherwoman. there's a where their all their money comes from tournament winnings and sponsorships wouldn't be a bad life huh that wouldn't be a bad life i suppose the sponsors um,
0: you know like you're you're not spending as much on on uh you know the the tournaments and the hobby in general because you know, you're, you have people who are like, Hey, we want you to use our, our stuff.
1: The biggest person in like the kayak fishing realm is actually from Nebraska. Really? Yeah. So, uh, her name's Christine Fisher. She, huh, um, imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'd fished against her a bunch of times. I don't know if you know where, uh, Wahoo is like right next to colon. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so like Wanahoo right there. We used to, I used to fish a couple tournaments there every year, and she'd always be there. But yeah, she's super nice, but she's sponsored by like every company possible that pays up quite a bit. Just spends all her time just on the road fishing kayak tournaments.
0: Mm, that's awesome. Good for her.
1: Yeah. You know, this is
0: kind of a side note, uh, just with her name being Christine Fisher. And uh, it, it's it's funny too because I was thinking about this just earlier today. But the, I was reading something years ago, and basically they, they had done this study. Uh, I'm to say it was out of like Harvard or something like that, and I'm sure it would be a, an easy search. But um, basically what it was outlining is that uh, whatever your name is, there's a, a higher propensity that you will do that either as a hobby or as a as an actual profession. So, um like Joseph Carpenter, you're I, I'm yeah. more likely to be a carpenter, which is funny because you know, like most of my, uh, you know, through my, I would say my teenage years and into my adult life, I've done carpentry as a hobby. Um, but if yeah. your name, if your last name is like Lawler, then you know there's a you have a higher propensity to to be a lawyer, or you know if your last name is Gardner, you um, have a, a you know a better chance of being like a gardener. <laughs> it's uh so that that doesn't surprise me that you know fisher would have you know that, mm-hmm. that hobby and, and of course it's you know that's it's not to say that that's like the rule like if your last name is fisher then you're going to be a good fisherman or have oh, an interest yeah, in course. fishing but it's just that uh i i, I found it interesting and I, I wonder if that's um you know just a psychological thing that happens to people because they're like oh my last name is fisher i should be good at fishing you know or mm-hmm. what what causes that you know what, what the like psychological mechanism
1: that exists there your last name's smith so you gotta like try to go on forged and fire like
0: <laughs> yeah so if you're exactly so if your last name is smith then you have a better chance of being a fabricator of some yeah. kind but no it's uh it's pretty interesting but as
1: soon as you said her name was christine fisher i was like oh there it is <laughs> mm-hmm. pretty cool yeah there's a uh, Nebraska is actually like pretty big and i think the origin of like the kayak fishing movement there was like at the very beginning there was only like four or five people doing it really and they just kind of had this forum i don't even know where, what it was on but uh one guy was in the navy i think out of like san diego um another guy was down south and then marty hughes who's uh actually like the superintendent of uh auburn high school um He's like he, he we call him the godfather of kayak fishing cuz he's been doing it for like 20 years now. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, he yeah, he runs a kayak guide service in uh like Omaha, like Omaha area.
0: Hmm.
1: Really sure, cool dude. Yeah, Marty's rad, man. He, he's like I couldn't imagine having a principal or superintendent that cool in school ever.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's hilarious. Yeah.
0: Um which school did you say he was with? Auburn High School? Yeah.
1: Or, yeah. Yeah, wherever their high school is, I do believe. Yeah, he, he's their superintendent or principal. He took the job down there two, three years ago, I think. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, actually, uh when I when I was driving up to uh, South Dakota, I drive by his house every single time. He lives right off seventy seven.
0: Yeah, I've I've driven through there uh, hundreds of times. Or
1: seventy five, yeah. Yeah same thing a few months yeah
0: actually they they that's uh, pretty significant they're the same well they're the same road in in some parts 75 and 77 Mm. yeah anyways well um i think that that's probably a pretty good stop yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, I I mean, we can always do like a part two on that, too, because I feel like that was like a pretty good like intro and like, you know, how how you got into the sport and, you know, some of the like nuances and then, you know, maybe uh, um, uh, we can do this again and you can tell me how to be a better fisherman.